I went to a funeral Friday, church down the road, um, and hundreds and hundreds of people were there. Um, the great guy, guy I've known for a long time, his name's Merle. And uh, man, lots of great memories were shared of uh, hunting and fishing by the family. And apparently there was a lot of fishing because it got mentioned a lot, right? And so as a family and, and some friends shared some stories, uh, there was a lot of like fun stories. But what struck me is that those hunting stories weren't why hundreds of people were there. Hundreds of, of people were there because um, Merle had served uh, kids faithfully for years and years and years um, in his church. In fact, when I was in grade school, he was my boys' brigade leader. Boys' brigade is kind of like um, uh, Boy Scouts, but, you know, with a gospel focus and a gospel emphasis. And so, you know, he'd take us up into the mountains, and uh, once a year we'd go on a camping trip. I remember one of those, and, you know, he'd have a campfire and crazy skits and just a great time. And I remember hanging out with my best buddy up there on Pinion Mesa. And then he, uh, he built a handmade um, long Pinewood Derby wood track. Uh, anybody ever done Pinewood Derby? Maybe Boy Scouts or something? Yeah. So much fun. And I remember this as a kid, you know, it was such a competition and we'd get so into it and carve, you know, carve these cars or, uh, you know, sand them, paint them, make them look cool. And then you'd race them and have to weigh out the lead exactly and all that stuff. And what's crazy is 30 some years later, when my kid was in Awana, um, he did Pinewood Derby and Merle was still doing it. <laughs> It was my kid won uh, the best design contest because we built a car and then we were like, this thing isn't very fast. <laughs> we didn't do a very good job on the speed here. And so we're like, let's go for design. So we did like a NASA space shuttle thing and he won. So um, anyway, 30 years later, 30 some years later. And that's what struck me as I looked around at, at hundreds and hundreds of people there. You know, uh, Merle never really became a remarkably successful or influential guy by the world's standards, but he impacted hundreds of kids. And that showed as you looked around that room and just by serving faithfully, by passing faith on. And I was just struck by the generational impact that a person can have as he passed the gospel on to both his kids, who were, who were friends of mine, and his grandkids, one of, one of whom uh, serves on staff with us in our youth ministry now. And to just see this generational impact of discipleship and sharing the love of God and passing it along. You know, something powerful about funerals, and I've been to a lot of them as, as a pastor, is that it reminds us that our time is limited. And I think that's a good reminder to have because so many times we just go through life not trying to ignore the fact that life goes by quick, doesn't it? I mean, you ask people that are 10, 15, 20 years older than you, and it doesn't seem like it slows down, really. It goes by quick. And I think it has the ability, if we allow it to, when we, when we pause to consider that, it, it, it allows, it has the ability to reset us to what actually is the most important thing in life. I think so many people just sort of live life aimlessly. We're, we're masters at distracting ourselves, aren't we? Especially in the modern day and age, you know, with binge watching Netflix seasons, somebody's gotta, you know, you, you just gotta see it, right? Um, 
to just the busyness and the constant noise in our lives. And it's so easy just to be so busy and so distracted and so focused on chasing things in our life, whether it's you know material success or whatever, that we rarely pause to refocus on what's truly most important. Because when we get to the end, the question that really matters is, did we pour our lives into what mattered most? Did our lives influence others for Jesus? Did we pour our lives into relationships and what matter most? And if you're a follower of Jesus, that question really is, did you live your life for Jesus? Did you faithfully do what he called you to do during this life? And so in just a minute, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, finishing off the book of 2 Timothy. Um, After that, a little bit later, uh, September, uh, we're going to dive back into John. Um, But in 2 Timothy, as we we finish this up, the Apostle Paul is going to reflect on his life because he knows his life is drawing to a close. He's been persecuted under Nero Caesar. Um, The attitude towards Christians have changed. Nero has pinned the great fire of Rome on Christians, and there's this persecution breaking out against Christians and Paul sitting in a jail cell for the second time, um, waiting what he knows. And I feel like, I believe that that God has revealed to him that, that he's getting close to the end of his life. And just to recap the big idea of 2 Timothy for you, Um, If I could recap it kind of in my own words, it would be all about Paul challenging Timothy, who's his disciple, his protege, this young leader that that he's influenced, that he's trained and then put in charge of this church. And he challenges him to stay focused and stay faithful in fulfilling the work God has given him. Why? Because the gospel must be passed on to the next generation. It must be passed on. You must make more disciples. It's the commission of Jesus. It's what he's placed us here for. And so Paul reminds him, I want you to stay strong, Timothy. I want you to stay focused. I want you to fulfill the work that God's given you to do. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And Paul is going to, this is really kind of the final commissioning of Timothy, and here's what he says. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. And I love it that he's almost like, he's putting the whole thing in perspective because he's going to tell Timothy, here's what I want you to do. But not just because I'm telling you, but because God is present. God is here. God is with you. And I love that Paul has an awareness of that even even in this jail cell. As he's sitting in this jail cell awaiting the executioner to come and take him off. He's aware, he's certain of the presence of God, that Jesus is coming again. That there will be a day when, when humanity will stand before its maker, the righteous, the only righteous judge, that there will be a day when Jesus appears, when his kingdom will come in fullness. Paul's convinced of it. He knows it's true. And because he's convinced of it, he goes on, he says, because of that, I give you this charge. I give you this commission in life. Preach the word. 
preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He's going to say, hey, I want you to faithfully do what God has called you to do in this world. Like Timothy, vocationally, is a church leader. He's, he's called to be a pastor. As a big part of that is preaching the scripture, preaching the gospel, the word of God, the, the announcement that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus died and rose again, that all authority has been given to him that he's a church leader, so to preach the gospel, to preach the word, and then to be prepared, he says. He says, I want you to be faithful and patient in the work that God has given you, and be prepared in season and out of season. And I think that's interesting, because you know, like, teams that, well, if you've ever gotten really in shape one summer, and you, you know, you've been riding the monument or something, and, uh, and then you put the bike in the, in the garage for the winter, and you pick it up in the spring, having not stayed with it all winter, um, it's not easy, is it? You're not ready. And you go out there, and you're, you're like sucking some serious air, aren't you? And so you, you know the concept, like the, the great teams, they train in the offseason, they stay prepared, Right? And they vary that training schedule. I, I found it interesting. I was talking to John, um, and he was telling me about LeBron James. You know, you can just bet that most of the time I give you a sports illustration, it's because John, uh, our, our operations pastor, uh, has given it to me. And then I share it just so you think I'm... Uh, anyway. <laughs> but John was telling me about LeBron James, who makes, I don't know, like $40 million a year or some insane amount of money. And he spends over a million dollars every year on a personal chef and a personal trainer and people in his life that will hold him accountable to keep his body in absolute top condition. So he's always prepared. And I guess if you're making $40 million because of your physical fitness, it's worth it, right? <laughs> the idea is he's prepared. And, and, and Paul says, I want you to be prepared in season and out of season. And if you remember what we talked about last week, where we were looking at the reality of, of the fact that there is a spiritual enemy that, that wants to take you out. In fact, other places, Paul write, your enemy prowls like a roaring lion. That he's waiting. And if, if, you know, if you've seen a cat prowl at a lion prowl, um, there is some roaring, but not when they're stalking the prey, right? It's interesting. I, uh, I have a cat. It's a long story. If you're new around here, this goes back a long ways. Um, the cat is an outdoor cat. Um, outdoor cat. And so the other day, I, I let the outdoor cat out of the house um, when it crawled off my bed where it sleeps. Um, and the cat, uh, I let the cat out on the porch, and there's this one little corner of my lawn uh, that's in the shade, and the bunnies love it right there. And they eat that grass right there, and they, and they do their thing. And there's this one corner I cannot get to grow grass because of the dumb bunnies. And so there's this little bunny over there, and I let the cat out, and I'm like, go get it. <laughs> Thankfully, my daughter didn't hear me. She wouldn't have been happy about that. And so the cat, like, crawls over, and he sees it, right? And he crawls over to the edge of the patio. And then what's so interesting is he just sits there, and I see his little tail, like, flicking, like, right? And he's just staring down at this rabbit. And, you know, if you let a dog out, what's the dog going to do? Go running out there, right? And the bunny's gone. 
Um, Cat, he just sits there. He's patient. He waits. In fact, as we were talking about this, uh, Jason, who was just up here, he was saying he, he watched this documentary. There's something in Cat's physiology itself um, that overwhelms that like reflex to go running after the animal in order that they can stalk more efficiently, which is why they're so deadly. And I'm telling you, those cats are just like miniature lions if you've seen them in action, right? We've had some real National Geographic moments in the backyard over the years. But this cat just sat there and he stalked, and he was so patient. I, I had to go do other stuff. I, I was watching him because I thought he was going to go after it. And no, he just sat there. Um, next day, I go down the stairs and uh, let's just say there was evidence down in the other part that uh, he was successful in his hunt. Man, and, and this morning I saw magpie parts down there too. I'm like, man, this cat's really going for it. Um, <laughs> but the point is he was patient, right? He was careful. And, and when it says your enemy prowls like a roaring lion, um, when you think about that, it's like he is, he's fine waiting for the opportune moment to get to you, to take you out. which is why you got to be prepared. And you got to be prepared to do the work also in season and out of season so that when God calls you, you're prayed up. You're in the, in the word. It's in you. It's in you. So he goes on and he, and he kind of sets this in context of why this is so important for Timothy. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So they're going to abandon the truth, the truth of God's word, and instead, and if you, if you study the, the Greek here, the idea behind this, behind itching ears, um, and behind like this idea of gathering teachers around is basically finding teachers, there's a, there's a moral component to this in the Greek, and it's finding teachers that basically are saying like, hey, you're okay. You do you, boo. Essentially, like, you're okay, you have your truth, and that's, you can hang on to that, that abandon scripture. You know, the only way you can stay um, connected with truth, with, with God's truth, which is the truth, is to know your scriptures, to know your scriptures, to be in prayer, to know your scriptures as, as the Holy Spirit, as you read them, uh, reveals things to you. That's our source. And, and Paul says there's a day coming when, when we're going to abandon that, when so many people are just going to step away, when they're going to walk up, when they won't put up with that. And I find it's interesting that in this day and age, um, over the last 50, 100 years, like, major mainline denominations of churches um, have, have split right down the middle because one half says we're going to abandon this section of Scripture when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to how we, how we do our lives. We're, gonna, we're just going to walk away from it and, and abandon that. And the other side says, no, we're going to stay to what, what the Word of God says. We're going to hang on to it. And let me tell you, as, as our church and my heart as a pastor, is my, our goal is always to be a church who kindly speaks the truth, speaks the truth in love. We love you. We care about you. We want you, but we also love you enough to tell you that, that there are times and, and to call out those things that are damaging to your soul.
And you got to be as a follower of Jesus. You got to be cautious when you find your life bumping up against things that you know is God's truth. And you're not willing to submit your life to Jesus in that area. Because the great temptation is just to go and find somebody who will tell you what you want to hear and won't actually speak that truth and challenge you in those areas. And there's always somewhere else down the road where you can hear what you want to hear. See, as you, as you think about this, the question really is, are you a consumer or a disciple? Is it about just consuming Finding a place, and you know, I mean, it's great. I, we have an amazing kids ministry, and that's so great that, you know, serve your kids and teach them the, tr- the truth and love them, and they have fun and all that. But when it comes to us, the question we have to ask is, are we a disciple? Because being a disciple of our Lord and Savior means that we necessarily say, you are my Lord, and I'm going to submit my life to you. Where you call, I'm going to go. When, when we bump up against things that, you know, maybe the culture says, don't, don't pay attention to that. We go, no, I'm going to stick with what God says. I'm going to honor truth. I'm going to submit my life to Jesus, my Lord. Jesus is Lord means he sets the direction in my life. So Paul says, hey, you got to be ready because this time is coming. This time is coming. In verse 5, he says, but you... But you keep your head, or literally be, be sober-minded. In other words, think clearly in all situations. Endure hardship. Last week we saw this, uh, this theme that everyone who wants to live a godly life, a life that honors God, will face hardship. Paul says every, everyone will face persecution who wants to live a godly life. And, and the heart behind that is it's not an unusual thing. When we face hardship, we're like, what's happening? Paul says, no, that's, that's the norm. Remember, Jesus gathered his disciples and, and warned them and reminded them, in this life, you will have trials. If you want to f- stay faithful to God, it won't be popular with some people around you. They, they will push back. They will, they will mock you. In Paul's situation, they might drag you um, before the rulers. They might throw you to the lions, literally, right? So he says, uh, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Tell others about Jesus. Discharge, or better, I think the ESV says, fulfill the duties. Fulfill your ministry. Do what you've been given to do by God. And like we said, Timothy, he's a pastor, he's a church leader. What, what is the job of a pastor or a church leader? Trick question. You don't have to answer. Like front rows, like I'm not. No, no, I'm not answering. It's to equip the people of God for the work of the ministry. That our job, we have a saying around here, not just pastors. And what that means is the work of the ministry is your your work and and our work. It's all of our work as followers of Jesus. And our job is to encourage and inspire and equip you to say. God, what are you calling me to do? Who are you calling me to reach in my circle around me? How do I get to that? How do I use the position I've been given and my, my job and everything you've placed, the possessions I have in order to further your kingdom? That's the heart. That should be the heart of every believer. 
And our job is to remind you of that week in, week out, because why? We get distracted so easy, don't we? We get distracted. So what has God called you to do in this world? Have you paused to think about that lately? Where has God called you to serve? What has he equipped you? Who has he uniquely placed around you that he wants you to reach out to? I think about Merle, his um, the friend I've been telling you about, faithfully influenced kids and youth for years and years and years and years, right? Romans 12 has a, a list of different giftings that God has given different people. Includes like teaching that, you know, I, I run my mouth fairly well. <laughs> so, um, and I can read. My mom taught me to read, so. But teaching, God's gifted me. You know, as, as I, I do my best to, to use a gift he's given uh, for his glory. God's given you gifts, right? Um, God talks about other gifts, serving. He talks about administration, that some are just so good with details and leading in details. Uh, mercy, some just have this compassionate heart towards others that sees the person who is overlooked and has a heart to reach out for them. That's not my natural gifting, but some of you, that's your natural gifting. Um, there's a whole list of them, right? He talks about actually giving is a gift. Now everyone's called to generosity, right? As, as followers of Jesus, that's a universal call. And yet some, he's uniquely gifted um, to, to prosper in business. And man, um, I know guys that they, they have this view of like, man, God's placed me in this place. He's given me this business. And I feel like the reason is to fund the work of the ministry around the world. And they planted churches in Myanmar and generously supported the work of the church. Like, where is God saying, like, is your life being poured out for him? That's the big question. Now, I love it that he, he specifically tells Timothy in this equation to do the work of an evangelist. And here's, here's my take on that. Um, different scholars have different opinions. My take on that is as you, as you read Timothy, um, about Timothy and in the, in the works uh, that Paul's written, both in First and Second Timothy, um, it, you get this idea that he's not, like, naturally a super, like, bold, like, get out there and get in your face. Like, Paul, you can tell he, he, he's not afraid of anything, right? Timothy, he actually says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love. Fan into flames your gift. Remember, be strong in the grace that God's given you. Why? Because I don't know that that was naturally Timothy's natural tendency. And I think he's telling him this, and this is just my take, my opinion on this, is that, you know, Timothy's main giftings are pastoring and teaching, and he says, but don't neglect the, the work of evangelism. And again, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, don't neglect telling others and sharing your faith. Like, you got to be focused on doing that. This is something that's a call to all believers. Go into the world and what? Make disciples doing what? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you to do. That we are called to pass our faith on. That we are called to share our faith with others. And man, I've met some like really gifted evangelists. I remember this one time I went to lunch with this group of pastors and this guy did this like evangelism seminar and he was amazing. Um, and uh, I remember we were like eating at Buffalo Wild Wings and literally on the way out, he stops by this other table and he's like praying with these people. And us other pastors are like, how does he do that, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I do know there's people that just have the gift of evangelism. It's, it's profound. Billy Graham, right? And yet... We're all called to do the work of evangelism. It's a universal call. We're all called to share our faith, 
to pass it on. You, you know, um, we have that phrase Jason was mentioning, my circle, my responsibility. And the, the truth around that is God has uniquely placed you with, in, in a specific circle with people around you in a specific place of influence and, and uniquely gifted you in that area, perhaps more than anyone else, to reach them for Jesus. Are you aware of that? Are, are you praying for opportunities to open your mouth and speak and opportunities to speak into their lives and influence them for Jesus. Um, you may be your friend's only Jesus friend. Do you realize that? Like someone you go to school with, someone you work with, you may be their only Jesus friend. You may be the closest connection to Jesus they have. And the challenge of this, sometimes it's, it's not always like brash, in-your-face kind of thing, right? It's, it's following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But don't use that as an excuse not to open your mouth and actually speak when he prompts you. That he gives you, it's paying attention to those moments when, when he, when he uh, whispers in your ear, not literally, but you, you just know. It's called the still, small voice of God. He says, hey, take this opportunity. Or this is an opportune moment to, to ask this person, like, can I pray for you? Because they're going through this hard thing in their work or in their family. And, and you just say, hey, let's just stop right now. I believe in a God that, that can move powerfully. Can I pray for you? And I believe when you take that step of faith, God's going to move. And God's going to do things. And he's going to use you in the process of reaching people for Jesus. Do the work of an evangelist. Why? Because the faith must be, must be passed on. We talked about this in the, in the first week, that, that the Christian faith in your neighborhood, in your city, in, in, in your family, it is only ever one generation away from fading from memory. If faithful followers of Jesus don't pass it on, if they don't tell others about it. Verse 6, and then Paul gets really personal. And these next three verses, I think, are, are some of the most powerful and influential verses when it comes to spurring on and encouraging us to remember what truly matters most in all of Paul's writings, perhaps in, in, in all of the New Testament. Here's what he says. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and my time of departure is near. He realizes I'm getting close to the end. I'm being poured out. A drink offering, uh, it, that's kind of a hard thing to understand, right? Um, it's part of the sacrifice that would be poured out. It was wine that was poured out with the sacrifice, and the idea behind it was, was something to make the heart of God glad. And that's a powerful thing. He's like, my life, the idea here is all of my hard work and the persecutions and the trials and the times I was beaten and left for dead and stoned, um, they threw... They left me for dead, threw rocks till I, they thought I was dead and walked away. All those times, it, it was all, it was like my life being poured out, all the faithful discipleship teaching you, Timothy. It was poured out to make the heart of my Savior glad who saved me from so much. And remember, Paul knew what his former life was. He said, what? I'm the worst of sinners. I can't believe how God saved me, even me. He says, it's poured out. My life has been poured out. What's your life being poured out for? 
It is being poured out. You realize that, right? The pitcher. And Paul realizes his pitcher is almost, almost empty. It's been pouring out. And, and the departure time is coming near. What is your life being poured out for? We all are given a limited amount of time, a limited amount of resource. What is it being poured out for? Don't kid yourself. You are spending the time, resources, and attention that God has given you on something. What is it? What is it? Is it just aimless and distracted? It's so easy to fall into that. Or is it intentional about pouring it out on the behalf of Jesus? You know what I find interesting is at a, at a funeral, nobody really ever talks about how big your house was or the promotion you got or how much money you made. I mean, generosity, yes, sometimes, right? But nobody really thinks about that. It's the life that's invested into relationships, isn't it? It's the lives that were impacted for Jesus. It's the relationship and the love that was poured out towards others. That's the thing that's remembered. That's the thing that's talked about. I remember reading this article by this uh, hospice nurse. And uh, she said she's had this unique perspective of being able to work with person after person that knows they're at the very end of their life. And the common threads were almost universally in men. It was like, I wish I hadn't have spent so much time at the office. I wish I hadn't have ignored my family. Wish I had stayed more connected. Wish I hadn't cared so much what other people thought. See, ultimately, it's the lives we pour into that's going to matter the most. It's our life poured out in service of our Savior that's going to matter the most. He goes on. He says, so my life's being poured out. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I fought the good fight. I didn't get distracted fighting a bunch of petty battles that weren't worth fighting. I fought the noble fight God gave me. He brings up this imagery, perhaps of a, a gladiator, perhaps of the Roman army, but this is the idea. I stayed focused on what God called me to do. I fought the good fight. I, I, I lived my life for Jesus. I've kept the faith. I've run the race, this athletic metaphor, right? I finished it. I, I played the way God told me to. He calls back to where he says any athlete that wants to, you know, win the prize, the gold medal needs to, to do it according to the rules. I've lived my life the way God instructed me to, to the best of my ability. I fought, I've kept the faith. I didn't get discouraged. Oh, there were times, there were times, I'm sure, but I stayed faithful to Jesus even through it. I stayed faithful. I didn't deconstruct my faith because I experienced hardship or because some of the teachings of Jesus were unpopular in Roman culture. I stayed faithful to my Savior. I stayed faithful to the truth. 
And now he says there's a crown of righteousness. Think of this like an Olympic medal. It's a metaphor from athletics, right? Where they would run uh, on the Olympic track. I was there when I was a little kid, like 13, ran on the ancient Olympic track, sat on, sat on the ancient Olympic uh, porta potty restroom. Uh, true story. Uh, there's like holes. We thought that was really cool as 13-year-old boys. Um, ancient sewer systems. Uh, it was very advanced. Sorry, I'm getting off track. But I ran this this, uh, on the track in in ancient Corinth. And uh, he he says, I've run the race that God gave me to run. And I completed it. And now there's this, they would give them a wreath, kind of a crown that, that they would have that was the victor's crown. It was like the gold medal. And he says, actually, God, there are ways for me a crown which the righteous judge is going to place on me. He knows I've lived my life for Jesus, and there is a reward for living for Jesus. There's another spot in the New Testament that talks about us as believers casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus. In fact, there's that song I love. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Cry, holy, holy, holy. And there's this idea that, that in that moment, at the end, when we stand before our maker, Nothing else is going to matter more. Saying, Jesus, I live my life for you. I live my life for you. And now don't get this wrong. He's not like making some sort of work your way to salvation argument here. That's not what the crown is about. In fact, he writes very clearly, Ephesians, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by work, so that no one may boast. You don't earn your way to heaven. Paul knew this better than anyone because as he was pressing and persecuting the church of Jesus, Jesus literally knocks him off his donkey or his horse onto the ground, blinding flash of light and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he commissions him as the apostle to the Gentiles. Which is why Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. I was fighting against Jesus. And yet he, he saved me, not because of anything I'd done. It's his grace, and the same is true. You don't tip the scales in your favor and earn enough favor with God to maybe make it into heaven. No, you freely accept the gift of salvation he gives you. And then he fills you, he, he indwells you and fills you with his Holy Spirit. And out of that, you live your life for him as, as its act of gratitude. That's Paul. But, in the faithfulness of living your life in gratitude and love for him, there is a reward. There is a reward. And Paul speaks of this. The New Testament speaks over and over again that there is an eternal reward. And and in that moment when you stand in front of your Savior, that's what really matters. Are you going to hear, well done? Or are you going to be like Paul writes somewhere else, someone who lived their life and, and it's like all for like hay and stubble and it's burnt up in the refiner's fire and like you made it into heaven, but you smell a little smoky because you barely like, you, you smell smoky, bro. And you got nothing to show for it. Paul talks about that in Corinthians. And he has this realization, no, I have, I've run my race I fought the good fight. And now there's this crown. I'm going to get the medal, and I'm going to be able to lay it at the feet of Jesus in gratitude and love, and I'm going to hear well done. And Paul knows it. 
He is the joy of living his life. Knowing that. Knowing that. And he says not just him, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Man, I want this to be me every day. Because so often I get distracted. So often I, I, I find myself just getting so focused on here and now and the minutia and the pains, like the annoyances and like all the stuff that's so much fun to do. And, and I actually lose track of the whole picture of what it's all about, of living this day. Lord Jesus, in the, in the context of I know you're coming back, let me live this day in that context. And more than that, I can't wait till you come back. See, somebody in a jail cell, somebody uh, the Mayan, in Myanmar, the Karin people that the wards are, are good friends work with in outpour movement, who were literally persecuted under this, this evil regime in, in Myanmar, they have a different perspective of this. They're not comfortable. And there's something about discomfort that, that in all things, new. Now, I love the way Paul closes his letter. This next 11 verses, or 12, I can't, 13 verses there, I can't count, are some of the most personal and human and vulnerable scriptures in all of the writing of Paul. This is quite possibly his final remarks to Timothy. The last thing Timothy would have heard from Paul. Here's what he says in verse 9. Do your best. I'm going to just read quickly through this. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, the physician, is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Here's the idea. I'm lonely. I'm cold. Demas, who used to be a co-worker, man, he got distracted, lost his passion for God. He wandered off. And man, I, I could sure use my coat, and it would be really nice to have more of my scrolls, the scriptures to read here in, in prison. He goes on, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too, should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. It's this idea like some people opposed me. I don't have to be bitter and angry about it. I'm going to leave it in God's hands and let him deal with it, right? Let God take care of it. Some, some were scared, and when I was standing in front of the judge, they, didn't, they, they were too scared to show up. But then he echoes Jesus, Father, forgive them. He goes on, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, it was God who strengthened me and got me through it all. And even now, though I know I'm approaching the end of my life, he's going to bring me to his kingdom. He's going to faithfully, he enabled me to fulfill the mission he gave me. To preach the gospel, 
to, to hand this away, to, to plant these churches, to leave leaders like you, Timothy, in charge. And now I know he's going to bring me home. Verse 19, greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth. I left Tropimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Now here's what strikes me about that section. Paul, the super apostle. You realize that. I mean, when when God needed somebody to take on the whole Mediterranean rim, the rest of the disciples are like, all right, we're in Jerusalem, we're doing our thing, and um, we got Jerusalem and Judea, and Paul goes, okay, you guys got that covered? Good, I got the rest of the world. And proceeds to go plant churches all around the rest of the civilized world, the, the Roman Empire. Paul, the super apostle, who literally like prayed over people and saw him raised from the dead. is lonely and cold and he feels abandoned. He knows what it's like to be let down by people. And I would guess that's a something most of us in the room have in common with the Apostle Paul. People he's trusted that just weren't there for him. Some of them, because they got distracted, and aren't really following God anymore. Some of them, he, they're just gone. They just couldn't be there. Some of them, they were just scared. He knows what it's like to be let down by people. And he knows that it's worth it. And I love it because after all he's written to Timothy about hardship and deception and endurance in the last days, the last thing he wants to leave with Timothy is grace. Grace be with you all, Timothy, and with all the others that will read this letter. Grace is grace that gets you in to relationship through faith. It's grace that takes you through what God allows you to go through in this life, and it's grace that will take you home. That's what he leaves Timothy with. I'm going to invite Winston up. We're going to close in a song to close out this series. I want to put the scripture back up one more time, these, these, these two verses, and, and here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I want you to, to take these this week and to write them down um, or to put it on the home screen of your phone if you don't know how to ask your grandkids, or take a picture. But what I want you to do is memorize these two verses. You're going to do Bible memory. Um, I'll talk to my wife. She does a 10,000-point system there. Um, if you come up and quote it to her next week, uh, you'll get 10,000 points and get to pick a prize, a free cookie out there. Um, no, but seriously, I want you to memorize this because I think if, this, if, these, if these scriptures sunk into our heart and became part of, of what motivates us on a regular basis, I think it would change the way we live our day-to-day -day life. I think it would change the way we pay attention when the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and says, have that conversation.
I think it would give us some strength and motivation when we face that temptation to get some other people around us to pray for us. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's read this together, everybody, from the start. Here we go. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Would you do that this week? Would you ponder that? Would you memorize that? Commit it to your heart? You know, as I look at the whole, like the big picture of Timothy, it's all about replicating yourself and passing it on. Don't let faith die with you. Replicate yourself to others. What will your legacy be? Will it be like Merle, who's faithfully just poured into the lives of others? Your life is being poured out even as we speak, are you going to like what your life is being poured out for? And you know what? Let me just, new day. Peter denied Jesus three times. And you know what? Jesus went hunting for him, forgave him, commissioned him to get back out there and fulfill the work God given. So you've blown it. Ask for forgiveness. Get some help and get back on track. Doesn't matter how old you are. You can say yes to Jesus today. You remember the thief on the cross? Lord, remember me. How many people has that testimony influenced? That's what I shared with my grandpa right before he died and accepted Jesus. Just say yes to him today. Say yes to him today. Maybe that's for the first time, receiving the salvation he offers. And after we sing the song, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer. Would you stand? You know, if you're in the room or joining us online and, uh, and you've never taken that step of faith and trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. You can pray a simple prayer like this and just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I want to accept the free gift of grace that you give me and what you did for me when you died and rose again as the complete payment for my sin. Save me. Welcome me into your family, Lord. I want to turn from my, my sin and I want to follow you with all my heart and live my life for you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, for my other friends here uh, in this place, I just want to ask that we would live our lives, Lord, for all of us, that we would live our lives to be poured out as a blessing, that, that our lives as well as our mouths and our worship and our song would, would be a blessing to your heart, Lord, that we would live in such a way that we could say like Paul, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. We would live a life longing for your appearing, focused on what matters most. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.